episode is a sermon by Reverend Martin Lindsay that was given on Martin Luther King Weekend in 2023. It's based on Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7. This past week I spent some time at Montreat for continuing education. And for those of you who are fairly new to the Presbyterian family, Montreat is the name of a camp and conference center in a small town in the North Carolina mountains that goes by the same name. Uh, and I appreciate uh, your terms of call that you extended to me, which allow me to get away from time to time and spend some time reading and studying. Uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Now, coming back from Montreat, uh, I find that the Old Testament lesson that's appointed for today uh, is a passage in which God declares that God has called a servant to renew God's people and to enlighten those who do not yet know the Lord. That's for today. And then tomorrow, of course, is the Martin Luther King National Holiday. Now, these three events in my calendar converged for me in a really fascinating way this week. I learned this past week that in August of 1965, Martin Luther King addressed a conference of Presbyterians at the Montreal Conference Center. I was not aware of that, or if I was aware of it, I had forgotten about that. The speech is on the Presbyterian Church's Website, and we'll post a link to that speech uh, later on on our social media pages so that if you want to listen to it, you can. It's about an hour long, uh, but it goes by really quickly. It's a, it's a fascinating speech. And so what I'd like to do today is to think about the meaning of Isaiah 49, 1 through 7 through the lens of Martin Luther King's life and, and in particular the speech that he gave to Presbyterians in Montreal. Uh, over 50 years ago. So in Isaiah 49, the Lord God chooses a servant who is deeply despised, even abhorred by the nations, to enlighten those very nations. Now, whether the servant is an individual or the people of God as a whole is unclear. In the passage, it sometimes sounds as though the servant is Israel. And then sometimes it sounds as though the servant is an individual whom God has called to preach and speak to the Israelite people. But what is certain is that the low esteem that the servant is held in will not last forever. Uh, that will be reversed. And this dynamic was certainly true in the life of Martin Luther King. This weekend, we often forget just how unpopular Martin Luther King was in his lifetime. According to a Gallup poll that was commissioned shortly after his death, King's unfavorability rating was 63%, and 39% of those polled gave him a minus 5 unfavorable rating on a scale of minus 5 to plus 5. A lot of people in King's lifetime simply despised him. And that was not just um, limited to a few um, oddball races in the South. Uh, it was really a, a attitude that pervaded society, and in fact it pervaded the Presbyterian Church. When it was announced that King was coming to Montreal to give a talk to a Presbyterian gathering, an elder at the General Assembly that year, and again for those of you who are new to the Presbyterian Church, the General Assembly is the, the national body that meets and decides policy for the church uh, on an annual or now every other year basis. An elder uh, introduced a motion to rescind that invitation, and a third of the elders and ministers at that general assembly meeting voted in favor of that. Also, when he departed from his uh, speech in Montreal, 
his flight was delayed because someone called in a bomb threat uh, for the airplane. These things kind of happened repeatedly in King's lifetime. But a decade after he had been assassinated, pollsters found that two-thirds of Americans had a positive image of Martin Luther King. And two-thirds of those who were polled gave him credit and the protest movement that he led for getting the civil rights legislation of the 60s enacted. Uh, and as one news article about King's legacy points out, it wasn't just the fact that the people who hated King had died off. That couldn't account for that massive swing uh, in esteem for the man. A lot of people who didn't like him in the 50s and 60s changed their minds about him by the 1970s. Some people had seen the light, which is what God promises the servant in Isaiah 49. People will see the light. Your message will not be ineffective or in vain, and your esteem will be reversed. Why was Martin Luther King so hated? Well, the servant in Isaiah 49 says that God has gifted him with a mouth and words that are like a sharp sword or like a polished arrow in the quiver of the Almighty. Toward the beginning of his speech in Montreat, King said this, now, we must admit that all too often the church has been lax on being the moral guardian of the community. All too often in the midst of social evil, too many Christians have somehow stood still only to mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. All too often in the midst of racial injustice, too many Christians have remained silent behind the safe security of stained glass windows. And later in the speech, King adds this. It may well be that we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the vitriolic words and the violent actions of the bad people who will bomb a church in Birmingham, Alabama, but also for the appalling silence and indifference of the good people who sit around and say, wait on time. In other words, church people talk about things that don't matter and they have nothing to say about things that do matter. Ouch. I assume he's including preachers in that, too. So uh, that cuts like a knife when I read those words. So what does matter? What do, we need, uh, you know, what do we need to be having a meaningful conversation about? Well, King calls on his listeners to be a light to the nation by leading the popular mind in the right direction. That is, the church is calling us to dispel false notions about race and spread the truth in the face of lies. Our calling is to educate people on matters of race. Now, King said there's, uh, this can unfold in many different ways. Uh, he admitted that the African-American community in his day was beset by social problems, and the worst of all was the high crime rate. But, he maintained, the root cause of these problems was environmental. It wasn't racial, it wasn't genetic, it wasn't congenital. It is a torturous logic to use the tragic results of segregation as an argument for the continuation of it, King stated. Churches, and here King, remember, is addressing an overwhelmingly white gathering of Christians. Churches can reassure the public that the struggle for civil rights isn't a struggle for uh, one group who has been dominated to dominate uh, the dominators, but it's a struggle for a fair and equitable balance of power and opportunity for all people. And churches are called to educate the public by keeping dialogue alive 
King says this, this is one of the great problems facing our society. This is one of the great problems facing our nation. People so often hate each other because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. And they don't know each other because they don't communicate with each other. And they don't communicate with each other because they are separated from each other. No greater tragedy can befall a community than the attempt to live in monologue rather than in dialogue. End quote. And it's fascinating if you reverse the order of those uh, words that King builds. Separation breaks down communication. And where there's no communication, there's no knowledge of the other or friendship with the other. And in the absence of knowledge and friendship, fear creeps in and fear leads to hatred. I think this is an important word for us to hear in 2023. It's not just a a kind of dead letter uh, in 1965. According to the 2020 census, there are 523,000 people in Camden County, and 60% are white, and 40% are a racial ethnic minority, African Americans, Latinos, another kind of racial ethnic minority. But it's not the case that our schools and our neighborhoods and our boroughs and townships reflect that 60-40 split. It's often the case that uh, it's, it's a much more lopsided split. We tend to live with and go to school with people who look like us and make kind of similar money as we do. And and please understand, I I know I'm new to this community, so I'm not the new guy coming in finding fault. Uh, This is the dynamic that you find in neighborhoods and counties and cities throughout our country. It's just that what King is warning us about is this, that the way that we live together and the way that we educate one another and the way that we worship together can keep us in the dark about each other. And when we're in the dark about each other, hatred and fear can fester in that darkness. So the other main thing that King called on the Presbyterians of Montreat in 1965 to do was develop a strong action program. A program of social reform in order to make its gospel real and in order to make the ethics of Jesus Christ relevant at this time. Now, King is aware that uh, he's facing an audience that may be skeptical about that. Uh, And so he addresses some of the objections to the church having a kind of social program. Some, for instance, believe that the church's main task is to save souls by converting sinners and unbelievers to faith in Jesus Christ. And King acknowledges the importance of that ministry. A a gospel true to its nature will be concerned, yes, about heaven, but also about earth, he adds. And King also warned that time, in and of itself, does not cure all wounds or solve all problems. We must help time, King maintains. We must realize that the time is always right to do right. And King focuses the most, however, on the objection that Uh, laws or policies can't change human hearts. And it's here that King sounds a lot like his namesake, the 16th century reformer Martin Luther. King says this, I would agree with anyone that says that legislation is not the ultimate answer. The ultimate answer is when people are obedient, not merely to that which can be enforced by the law, but when they will rise to the majestic heights of being obedient to the unenforceable. The law cannot save us. Laws can't save us. Both Martin Luther and Martin Luther King Jr. believe that. 
But, there's always a but. But after saying this, King adds, we must look at the other side. It may be true that you cannot legislate integration, but you can legislate desegregation. It may be true that morality cannot be legislated, but behavior can be regulated. It may be true that the law cannot change the heart, but it can restrain the heartless. It may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, but it can restrain him from lynching me, and I think that's pretty important also. End quote. This is what uh, the great church reformer Martin Luther referred to as the civil use of the law. The law cannot save us, and we're not saved by obedience to the law. But the law is a good gift from a good God because it restrains sin and makes some form of human society possible when otherwise anarchy would break out. And it's holy work, King says, to reform the law when it no longer restrains sin but becomes a conduit or an avenue to sin. Martin Luther King concluded this section of the speech by calling for uh, policy changes in the areas of of poverty relief and in education. And you have to know this to kind of understand the following words. King had come to Montreat from Los Angeles where the riots in Watts had broken out just a few days before. In fact, he was late giving the speech because the riots delayed his departure from L.A. And he told the uh, the audience gathered in Montreat, in the Watts area of Los Angeles, thousands and thousands of Negroes are unemployed. I went to talk to them, and the one thing they said to me was, we want jobs, we want some work to do. And then somebody will say, well, aren't you getting a welfare check? The one thing they'll say is, we don't want to just run downtown to get welfare checks. We want to work, we want some jobs. End quote. Good paying jobs require good education, which many African Americans in King's lifetime have been denied. And even in the 1960s, the supply of unskilled labor was already drying up, which which meant that even then, there were less opportunities for people who didn't have a good education to find meaningful work that paid a living wage. The main thing that King urged his audience to do was not overlook their unemployed or poorly educated neighbors. And he reminded them of the story in the Gospel of Luke about the rich man and Lazarus. Um, The rich man lived uh, a sumptuous lifestyle, but at his gate was a poor man named Lazarus who was ill and uh, couldn't even move uh, and couldn't even treat his own wounds. They both died, and the rich man went to hell, and Lazarus went to heaven to be rocked in the bosom of Father Abraham. Now, Martin Luther King noted that the rich man didn't go to hell simply because he was rich. Because Father Abraham in his life was rich. He was a wealthy rancher. Had thousands of uh, sheep and goats. And yet he was in heaven. The rich man, King says, went to hell because he never noticed Lazarus or tended to his wounds and to his needs. Quote, I submit that this is the challenge facing the church. And the final analysis... We are all made to live together, rich and poor, lettered and unlettered, tutored and untutored. Somehow we are tied in a single garment of destiny, caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. And for some strange reason, I can never be what I ought to be, 
until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. End quote. In short, this servant of the Lord called on his listeners to dispel darkness by keeping conversation going, keeping engagement alive, especially across lines of race and class. And he called his audience to strive in the public square for better education and better employment opportunities for all people. You can see in the bulletin ways that our congregation is doing that tomorrow, and I would invite you to participate in some way. And I would also invite you to keep tomorrow's work going by keeping the conversation in our congregation focused on things that really matter, even if those things cut like a knife from time to time. In the name of the one who is and who was and who is to come. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review this podcast so that we can reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. To support our ministry, go to www.haddonfieldprez.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the page. Grace and peace be with you.